One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. You're listening to the Purpose Made podcast. We are here to inspire positive change in our post-pandemic global society. Talking to business leaders around the globe, discussing the highs, lows and challenges they've experienced. Our hosts, Neil Bestford and Peter Bell, created Purpose Made in 2021 during the height of the pandemic, combining their passion for people, culture and transformational change. They sit down with business leaders and ask, what does the future look like? Don't forget to click subscribe to hear all the latest news and views on our changed global society. So, welcome to the Purpose Made podcast. Who's on today? Yeah, so today we've got the amazing Juliet Davenport OBE. Juliet is the founder and CEO of Good Energy, the UK's first 100% renewable energy company. They're also a multi-award winning company. They've twice been named the Sunday Times Best Green Company. Juliet's father is a well-known John Davenport, the former rallying co-driver. And yeah, like bit of background about Julia Pre-Good Energy. She also studied atmospheric physics at Oxford. So yeah, really looking forward to today. Um, she's got a load of great insight and looking forward to the chat. Let's start by just a little introduction into yourself, who you are, and um, maybe a little bit of background into your own career before Good. Yeah. So, hi, I'm Juliet Davenport, and I'm the founder and what ex CEO of Good Energy. Actually, I stepped down earlier this year, and so I guess I've been campaigning on trying to do something around climate change for for over twenty twenty five years now. But I actually my background's slightly different. So I grew up in a really high carbon world when my father was a rallying co-driver and then sort of involved in motorsports. So I spent most of my time as a kid, either on the side of a racetrack or watching very fast cars in, in a forest. And when I arrived at university, I'd, one, I didn't really know what I was doing, except I loved physics and that was a subject I went there to study. And two, kind of environmental issues hadn't even dawned on me at this point. And I guess three years at university, I ended up in my last year doing atmospheric physics, where you start to look at, really, it, it teaches you about the physics of climate change. And when you look at the atmosphere of our planet, it is so special. I don't think we can find, we haven't found another planet with the same atmosphere that we have, which then allows our planet to have the earth and us to have the life that we have. So it's pretty fundamental. And obviously when you start looking at the atmospheric system, climate change becomes a really big issue because as soon as you start to put lots of gases in it, it changes and then it changes the impact it has on the planet. And so that's really where my journey into good energy started. And I spent quite a few years 
trying to figure out what to do. I must admit, I didn't always know what I was doing. I did work in a Caribbean hotel for six months, decided tourism was definitely not my style. I did also uh, work in sports PR for a little while, which taught me a huge amount about communications. So I did a master's in economics and then went and joined the European Commission and started work on energy policy. And I guess that was kind of the beginning of the thoughts around good energy. And I ended up working after that, working in a consultancy on renewables. And that was where the idea for good energy came from. Nice. And good energy has been going for 19 years now. Is that right? The current company as in its formation now was set up, I think in about 2000. So probably a little bit longer than that, but the concept really, I started working the concept probably late 1997. So the concept of it or that coming forward was probably a little bit longer than that. Yeah. No, it's, and you've done some amazing things. You serve something over like 73,000 households and businesses throughout the UK. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. But we also look after, I think it's over 150,000 households who generate power in their own homes as well. So this concept of people creating, making their homes into a power station was really something we started pioneering back in 2004, actually, I think it was. Yeah, no, I think that's that's something that maybe we should dive into a little bit more into like the crux and the purpose and the founding mission really of, of Good Energy, because um, a lot of our listeners may be new to Good Energy. So when I was working for a consultancy on renewable energy, we ended up doing a piece of work across 30 European countries that looked at how renewables was working in each country and which countries were doing really well. And as part of that work, I used to go and have to present this around Europe. And I ended up in Athens and presented this piece of work to a whole audience in Athens. And afterwards, a lot of the work really focused on what were the government interventions? What was the status of the technology? What was the likely future price of the technology? And quite often it just missed the conversation about the users of renewable energy. And I presented to 400 people, biggest audience I'd ever presented at at that point in my career. And for some reason, Greek TV televised it live. Again, not entirely sure why, but again, I was slightly nervous. So I was quite relieved to get to the drinks party after the conference. But it was there that I started. I was, I'd already been thinking about this, having this conversation. And I ended up having a conversation with an investor about the concept of how do you get consumers involved in this conversation? How do you get consumers involved in the solution rather than it just being a government solution or an industry solution? Where, where were the consumers in the question? And that's where it really started from this kind of concept. I and mean, it's what good energy's had as a core is that consumers can be part of the answer. They don't just have to be a problem. They can get involved and help you solve the solutions to climate change. And the first very simple way you can do that is by supplying them with 100% renewable electricity. And so they can switch suppliers. And that was what we started with. So in the early launch, our single product was 100% renewable electricity. We then discovered that people wanted gas as well. They wanted to buy their electricity and they wanted to buy their gas from the same company. And that gave us a bit of a dilemma is because gas is a, a fossil fuel. So we did a lot of work. We managed to buy some renewable gas. And then we worked and said, well, how can we promote renewable heat in the UK? And we launched something. It was a really bad name. I wish we'd be better at branding at the time. We called it Hot Rocks. But it was essentially a support mechanism for helping people put solar thermal into their houses and support them heating their homes in alternative ways. 
And then as time went on, we had people contacting and say, we want to generate our own power, but nobody will buy it. So then we said, okay, fine, we'll, we'll sort that. So we enabled people to generate power in their own home, use it themselves and then export the rest to us. So we kind of went on this journey with uh, all the time putting the consumer at the center of the question and the solution and tried to find more and more engaging ways where consumers could get involved in providing solutions because of climate change. Yeah, which is the perfect way to look at it, to be honest, because if you look at kind of it, you know, we'll talk about the periods of crises that we've all experienced in the last couple, last year or so soon. But if you kind of look at it, consumers drive behavior, they drive uh, markets that, you know, so ultimately the decision points as a consumer makes drives a whole ways in which businesses are, are created they operate so whilst at the moment that you do look into the industry and see without naming names people that do kind of like the root of greenwash or maybe they may not fully embrace the ideology behind it people are getting bored of slogans and they want to kind of see more action really so yeah. no definitely i mean i think i think the the, the action piece is is so important i think you empower somebody that they can make a change themselves. The number, the number of people when we first started enabling people to buy and sell their own solar power that they generated on their roof, number of people would come up to me and tell me how they changed their behavior as a result of it because they could physically, they physically knew when the power was being generated. So they change how they use the energy in their home. You could never get that behavior just from a tariff. So if you can combine the economics of something plus that kind of real embodiment of, of change in a te- from a technological point of view, then you really empower individuals. They, people feel like they want to make a difference. And I agree with you. I think, I think logos and, and, and sort of the marketing side of it can make a real difference, but it's not enough on its own to really make big changes because otherwise people then just get a bit bored. I mean, there's nothing, you switch a tariff and that's it. Actually, if you've got a piece of technology that you're you're genuinely doing good with and you own it and it's part of part of your operation, part of your home, that makes such a big difference. Yeah, and I think what even what you say, the the whole piece of doing good, like we're one of many organizations that have been set up on the purpose that we want to do good in society and like we want to make a true impact. So lots of people talk about what their purpose is, but actually understanding the whole scheme of things, how the how they interact with business and consumers globally and what, what their actual footprint is, is going to play an important part going forward. And I think that's why it's important to ensure that like leaders within organization, their psychology, it mirrors their organization. So, you know, rather than kind of work towards a certain mold or something that hasn't worked in the past or isn't going to work going forward, that they, they kind of have this ability to kind of change and, and adapt to markets and behaviors, I think. Yeah. I think what's really interesting is um, one of the things, one of the other reasons we set up the business was not just to empower consumers, was also to be a voice of the future in the room. So one of the things I find fascinating, and I think it's, it's a really big challenge for when you want to invest in innovation as a country, because quite often when you're investing in R&D or innovation, you're creating disruptive technologies. They're disrupting the existing business models. 
And so those companies that own those existing models or own that existing market won't want to invest in them, won't want those. And so by necessity, you have to have them separate. And I think that was what we saw our role as because we set ourselves out to be 100% renewable. It meant that we were never tempted to lobby for more gas power stations because we didn't have any. So we were always had this vision of kind of what a future could look like. And it wasn't, I guess, sullied or undermined by anything else that we owned. And I think that that was that was really important. And I kind of seen it in the industry, energy industry over the last 20 years is that those big organizations that have an existing business model that makes a lot of money can't help themselves. They will try and get rid of disruptive business models. They don't want them in there because they're going to undermine the existing investment that you've made. And I think that's, that is a real challenge when you're trying to go through such a massive transformation as we are in the, the energy market. And I kind of hope good energy in its way over the last 20 years has been that voice of the future as many times as possible and made sure that government is listening to other voices rather than just the incumbents. Yeah, exactly. And it's the short-term versus long-term focus. Like, sadly, within industries, it doesn't matter which industry you're in, if you've got an established business that kind of pre-pandemic has been making crazy amounts of revenue, then you don't want to change. You want to continue the norm. Looking at where the pandemic's driven business now, so many businesses have been forced to change. Your experiences of pandemics, I'd, I'd just be interested to know kind of what were the learnings that you kind of learned from 2008 downturn to this pandemic? Because a lot of businesses may have just experienced the the one you've you've had the um <laughs> <laughs> I've had the joy of having two. Yeah. <laughs> so what what's been the key learnings and you know maybe a contrast between the two? So what I remember about the first one was I, I do remember the team panicking quite a lot. They thought my, my the finance director at the time thought the whole of the British banking system would collapse. Obviously it didn't, and it was supported by government. And what we did then that first time around is we battened down the hatches. So we cut back on everything. We cut costs. We held the line. We looked after the company as best we could. But what we discovered when we came out of it is the market had shifted. So the market had really changed and people wanted something else coming out of that downturn. And I think what I really learned at that point is that there's no way you can stand still in a downturn. You actually have to be working as hard as ever, if not harder, and really thinking about what you're investing in for the future. Because what you absolutely know is that the market you went in with will not be the market you come out with. And that's even for a utility, which people still used energy. I mean, there was a big reduction in business use, particularly sort of 30% of business electricity use went down. Domestic use went up a little, but not hugely. We kept the wheels on and obviously we cut our costs back. But what you absolutely need to be ready for is now. Now is the time when you should be really thinking about, well, what is this market going to need in the future? What's it going to feel like coming out of a pandemic? What are people going to want? And making sure that you are ready to provide the services and, and the applications and, and, the, and the products that people want in this new world. You need to be working as hard, if not harder than you were before the pandemic. What are you actually seeing now? Is there anything that you're experiencing now, kind of, what, 14 months post-first lockdown? Are there, are there any of those coming to fruition now that you're experiencing? So I think what we're seeing is, I mean, you've got, you've got the basic bits and pieces where you've got, so, so if I look across domestic market, business market, the EV market, 
heat, the, the sort of new heat stuff hasn't quite happened yet. And maybe the innovation markets. So I guess what we're seeing on electricity, you're kind of seeing the ups and downs depending on whether people are going back to work or not. But I think what we'll see is that energy usage won't change a huge amount because if you've got to have offices open, it doesn't matter whether they're open for two days or five days. So there's still going to be, we, we think that part will stay relatively static, but obviously business customers are going to be trying to think, well, I've got this overhead that I'm not using in the same way as I was before. What, what does that mean for my energy point? And can I use less office space kind of going forward? So I think that is a challenge. I think on home usage, I actually think this is a time to be really investing in providing homeowners much more information about their energy use because we're spending so much more time in our homes. I don't know about you. I'm, I, this is the attic I, I, I work in, which is great because that means I can shut the door in the evening and not feel like I'm at work. But however, this particular part of the attic, we never insulated properly. So it's uh, there is a gale blowing through here in the winter. And so I think there's going to be a need for people to want to invest in their property to make energy work for them. But things like solar is a really effective piece of use at home. And then if I come to the EV market, we've seen EVs outstrip sort of any numbers percentage wise of total a new car purchasing. And we're continuing to see that go up. So although the usage hasn't been particularly high because people aren't driving a lot, we're definitely seeing people buy more electric vehicles. And I don't know whether that's because they're more becoming more confident about the infrastructure. So one of the subsidiaries of good is something called ZapMap, which maps all the infrastructure in the UK on electric vehicles. So I think people are getting a bit more confident about that. But also I think people want to believe that we want a less polluted future. Pandemics make people think about their health and, and particularly something that affects your respiratory health. Having less polluted places to live, I think it's going to be really important. So that I feel is going to be a trend coming out. I also think purpose-led businesses are going to be a trend. I think people want to go and work for and be part of and buy from businesses they believe is going to help the planet because I think we've all seen as part of COVID how vulnerable the planet is, how vulnerable we are to a disease that can just go worldwide with, without even thought. And I think revisiting how we live our lives without sort of uh, just ignoring all the signs that potentially could undermine our society, I think is a really important stepping off point now. And, and that's, that's why I think purposeful business is going to be important as well. And then, I genuinely believe that we will see more people wanting to move, particularly if people are off gas grid, they'll want to move away from kind of oil fuels. Having moved, I've got an air source heat pump in the house and I came off oil. One of the things I really noticed was the smell. I mean, when you burn oil in a, well, it's, it was a bit, a bit of an old boiler to be fair, but when you burn fuel, it smells and you can smell it in the air. So again, I think we're, we're going to want to move away from all of that. So, so I think there's a general sense that people will want cleaner air and will be investing in their homes. I think it's also that holistic view in the fact that I think we've been a little bit more responsible as we, as we all grow and um, develop and age, I guess. So like um, we, with our newborn, like 
one of my focuses is whatever I do with, with our business is I want to make sure that we leave and with the wider aim of leaving the world in a better place than the one that we inherited. And also, you know, you, you did mention about EVs, but that I think the rise of electric vehicles is, is on the basis of quality as well. Like take a look at what you can get at Tesla versus what you can get kind of from some of their more traditional competitors. And it's, it's, you can get what you really want really with respect to quality and that whole, what consumers value is and that close alignment to how comp- the, what a company values is driving the marketplace as well. And then if you kind of look at some of the biggest impacts that we have that we maybe didn't talk about just then, but things like waste, the energy consumption of waste is, is crazy if you kind of take a look at the wider picture. So it's that viewpoint, that whole kind of circular viewpoint of the production versus the waste argument that needs to be brought into play because I read just this morning in um, The Guardian that, that um, there was a study taken by a Finnish university, I can't remember the name of them, where they were looking into global food production and they were talking that on the basis of current greenhouse emissions, if they continue to project at the current rate, we're going to see temperatures rise by 3.7 degrees Celsius, of which it may not may not sound lots, but it's going to have a radical impact in, sh- in shrinking the so-called safe um, climate spaces where, whereby food is produced. So we're going to start seeing actual true impacts into the production of food as well as the impacts of waste so and and i think it's always interesting because because when we talk about degree c and it always feels like single digit numbers feel quite so if you try and think about and i did try and do the maths but i need to do it again sometime think about the planet like a big cup of tea okay so you've got this massive atmosphere and think how much energy it would take to make that go up by one degree it's huge. And, and, and sometimes I think we think in temperature rather than in energy terms. And it's like what we're doing is we're creating, the, we're, we're putting way more energy in the atmospheric system than ever before. And yeah, it's going to come out in heat. So it's going to, it's going to make parts of the planet completely incapable of actually growing food. But also it's going to come up in weather systems as well. So we're going to see that increased energy of the, of the atmosphere and of our weather systems. So we're going to see more rain, we're going to see more storms, etc. So it's really interesting because it's so difficult with degree C and degree C is such a bad measure of actually what's going on. I think we need to translate it into a kind of huge heat number and then, then we get it better, wouldn't we? Because it feels too small, doesn't it? You just said it. Well, you could then, if you know, if it were to be heat number, then in partnerships, because I think whilst the likes of government do drive, um, you know, like legislation, for example, what we need and what we need to see from our global leaders is more partnerships and more cooperation. So they can implement like legislation that, that can maybe see that, you know, like certain areas are that they have a responsibility for the largest number of emissions. Therefore, there's a taxation that can kind of go into alleviating some of these issues um, and making sure that if you are at fault for driving some of these largest emissions, then you, you pay for it. And then with, because ultimately, not, like legislation is a good point and so is like consumer behavior, but monetary impacts, that always leads to change. Like if it's going to have a, if it's going to have an impact on your pocket, then that, that ultimately drives a change. And that's, that's kind of, we get into that point that kind of where we need to not only see the likes of um, you know like polar ice caps and stuff just disappearing we need to start seeing more action rather than just continued slogan yeah and it, and i think your point of waste is very well made i mean one of the things we covered in in the great green questions podcast was that 
something like if you did food waste as a country, it would be the third biggest country from the point of emissions point of view. Because it's just, we waste so much food on this planet. That would immediately, if we could feed people who haven't got enough and the rest of us stop wasting it all, we, we would just have an immediate effect. So we, there's so many things that are broken in terms of the system. We've just got to go back to fundamentals and make sure that we're not harming the planet every time, time we do something. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus, absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So if we kind of dive into the COVID pandemic a little bit more surrounding good, you know, moving forward, what's been kind of the biggest challenge for you and also what's been the the main thing that you want to take away from your, your time to kind of almost have a period of reset to think this is what I want to take into my business going forward? What, what would yeah. you I mean, I think, I think going remote was, I mean, for, I think, I think virtually every business has said going remote was so much easier than we thought it was going to be and so much more effective. And I think sitting in cars, commuting or sitting on trains or commuting or, or whatever way you commute every day feels like a waste of time. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be seeing each other and shouldn't go into office, but not doing it every day just seems to make a lot more sense. I think that was that was the most extraordinary piece. Uh, on the other side, though, I think what 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 I observed was that projects that were already in place or already in train or day to day work that was fairly well defined seemed to go on fine. The areas that I felt that that when we had to end up coming together was areas where we were trying to create something new, trying to set up a new project, or trying to create change. 
And it felt that those areas, it was much more difficult to influence people and bring people along with you when you're at a distance. And that that was my observation. So that if you were just doing the day to day and it was all going nicely, remote working actually worked really well. But as soon as you hit something where you weren't going to get where you you were going to get some conflict within the business, which is quite often with change, that was much harder to do remotely. You, you needed to be in the same space. Yeah, no, we, we had that. Um, we've got a podcast coming out soon with a, a guy called Nicholas who founded Watcher Games. And he made the similar sort of point in the fact that when you actually want to create change and innovation, sometimes the, those discussions are best had kind of in coffee rooms where you're kind of together. And it, it is a balance. I think that's what people are kind of looking for, that balance between having something whereby they have the freedoms to, you know, go out and walk the dogs in the morning and then start work and shifting the mentality from time to kind of performance, really. I think that's... Yeah. Really yeah. And I mean, it's like... It's it's like the whole business about it's all very well doing a great plan, but if the plan doesn't have an outcome, who cares? It's outcome that you're looking for. And I think this is what COVID has proved to us is that nobody could have planned for COVID, but it's the outcomes that actually show how innovative and how um, creative we all are to be able to get to where we've got to, I think, because despite the negativity around COVID, there are some real positives. Yeah, like the outcomes, it forces you to be creative. It forces you to be innovative because so many businesses either being new businesses created like Neil and I's or being businesses that have been in place for a number of years, it, it has forced change at a rapid rate. That's for the positive, I think, for society going forward. There was one thing that I did want to chat about as well. I, I did notice that you've also um, set up a youth board that I was really impressed by. So if you could tell us a little bit more about the youth board. So that was, that was, I mean, for a long time when we've talked about Good Energy's purpose, we've always talked about it in relation to four key stakeholders. So delivering to our customers, obviously, delivering to our people, delivering to our shareholders. And I created something called Future Holders. And I, and I created it really to say that this is not just about being static, but it's about creating change. And actually, we have a responsibility to the future and so it was a rather clumsy word, but I just came up with the word future holders. We were approached by somebody at Eco Schools to talk about this project. And we went, it kind of fits perfectly with us because we've already got this kind of future stakeholder kind of concept. And actually, if we bring a future board in, what that does is that they are the custodians of that future, of those future holders. They are the future holders. And essentially, they are there to have debates and talk to us about what the future holds. And I've seen some people who want to get young people involved because they're trying to figure out what products they can sell to generate the next generation. This isn't quite the same. This is about being held to account by the next generation, really. And so we had, we had a first meeting. The first meeting was brilliant. And I did warn the guys. I thought we might run over because they put a lot on the agenda. I went, if they're good, these guys, which they really were, we're going to have a lot of debate. And there's a, there was a lot to debate about. And they wanted to ask a lot of questions and they wanted to find things out. And actually it was great because it put some of our guys at good on the spot who didn't know all the answers. And so I, I actually think they're brilliant. They're, they're this kind of force to be reckoned with. And actually 
my sense is they'll probably get asked more difficult questions than necessary. Our board would always ask. Te- definitely on a technical side, they want to they want to know how things work. They want to know what it looks like. So yeah, it was it was great, and we had we went out with a national advertising campaign. We had a thousand applicants for school age kids between twelve and seventeen. I think it was. We've got six amazing people on the board. They they are absolutely fantastic. They're passionate, they're interested. And I kind of hope that what we'll do for them is to give them some insight into business, um, what businesses can do for good. And then whether they'll be part of a business or whatever they do in the future, they've had that kind of insight. What's hilarious is they go go off on their own now. So they've got their own WhatsApp group where they debate stuff. We don't even get involved. Suddenly they're off talking about stuff, which is brilliant. That's kind of what we wanted. Yeah, no, we've talked about the idea of like incorporating a soul, a soul board into into our business because uh, ultimately decisions that we make, we want to make sure that they have a true impact on society, on community and how our business is run. And that can only see become into and seen into life if you kind of like lean on that ability to apply a soul or apply like heart to how yeah. you plan to grow and develop your business and I really love the idea of having a youth board as well because it's true you know like what we can see statistics and we can see data and we can see um, you know new articles that pop up but sadly so many people in say the the fossil industry they've kind of become immune to a lot of this and completely and sadly, um, you kind of need the, that kind of reality check by people that see it for the first time to hopefully, you know, reduce the opportunity for slogans and start to see more action take place. Yeah, I I, I, um, I got invited once by an environmentalist to a lunch with uh, the, the UK head of, an, of a sort of foreign oil company and his wife. And there were some sort of teenagers as well at this lunch. It was, a, it was kind of generally trying to talk to this oil company about the environment and et cetera. Anyway, about halfway through this lunch, uh, the wife of this guy turned around to the younger generation and said, yes, we've made a bit of a mess of it. It's going to be your job to clear it all up. And I have to say, I just thought that was outrageous. I was like, it's not, you should, you should be using the rest of your life to clear up the problems that you've created, not just passing it on to the next generation. I just thought it was dreadful. Anyway. No, it's, it's, no I've, I've heard that statement made so many times and that's kind of one of the reasons that like we wanted to do something about it personally. And I think there's there's more businesses like ourselves that are being created with with a heart, with a soul to make sure that, um, you know, we don't kind of just lean on the fact that our ch- children or their children are going to have to clean up after our mess. Uh, you know, we've got to kind of make sure that we work together have those difficult conversations and work with business and work with government and work as a collaborative to make sure that um, we see a better future ahead. Yeah, completely. Completely. So in terms of that, like what, what's, we're going to, I think what's a good place to kind of close on, on kind of what is your future mantra? Like what, what does the future look like from your perspective? And is there kind of any approach that, that you're going to take take forward so i guess i guess there's two or three things obviously i'm now going to be spending less time in the day-to-day at good but the vision that we kind of created over the last kind of year and a half and i'm i'm hoping will now be empowered into the next generation at good is to really try and think about what can good energy bring to consumers 
around powering their homes, around heating their homes and around transporting people around the, where they want to go to their, from their homes to their work and back again. So let, let's take that as a kind of example. And at every stage, we want to be helping consumers to do that in the lowest carbon way possible. So how they're powering their homes, whether they switch to us or they generate their own power, we don't mind. We just want to help them do that. When they're heating their homes, are they investing? Are they going to insulate their lofts? Like I'm definitely going to do this summer. Are they going to switch to electric heating, a heat pump, solar panels? How are they going to do that? And then on transport, what are they going to be doing? Are they going to be getting on their bike? Are they going to get an electric car on public transport? So we're going to be trying to bring that together as a kind of total solution. And we're doing that through various different routes. So in the transport side, we invested in ZapMap. And really, we see that as ZapMap will help you get in your car in the morning, work out where where you're going. Do you need to charge in the way? Can you pay for that charge? Where you get to on your destination? If you're ending up at a friend's house, can you pay for your charge at your friend's house and then get home again? So it's, it's kind of really thinking about that whole customer journey and just making it easy, tying, tying the technology together so it works for people as opposed to the other way around. Because I think we're at the beginning of a journey in low carbon tech in that there's lots of technologies out there and they all work really well, but they don't actually work very well together for humans. And actually humans are a big, the biggest issue in the whole piece. So I think that good energy is about bringing the human touch to solutions on climate change. And then on a personal basis, I'm quite excited because I've got lots of lots of ideas and lots of possibilities. One of the things I'm going to be working on is continue to work on communication around climate change and climate solutions, something I'm really passionate about. So uh, I'm looking at that in various different organizations. Technology. So I've been approached by lots of new tech companies that sound very exciting. Lots of startups as well. I sit on a couple of mentoring things for NatWest and something called Huckle Tree, where you've got young climate entrepreneurs who are coming through with new ideas, which is just fantastic. And then some consumer pieces as well. So looking after consumers going forward. So I'm hoping that I can expand what I did at Good to a wider marketplace, which will be really exciting. We've got like the COP Summit coming up as well later in the year. So um, I'm just interested to learn from your expertise. Where do you think the UK stand both currently and our position in the future with regards to climate change and what should be, what should be the, the, the main things that should be addressed at this p- present point in time? So what I find fascinating about the UK position on climate change is that UK position can go from very lukewarm and a bit useless to really quite impressive. And they do seem to flip-flop quite a lot. So I have to say that the UK was not a particularly sort of forward-thinking country back in the kind of early 2000s in terms of climate change. I mean, when we came out of the 2008 downturn, we had we burned more emissions than ever before after that. It went, we went to a high-carbon recovery. Yet in 2008, we signed the Climate Change Act, I think it was called, which, which, was, a, which was a firm legally binding commitment to reduce our carbon emissions, which was extraordinary because it was way ahead of anybody else in Europe from a legal point of view. So so despite all the things we were doing from a, from a legislative point of view, we moved way ahead. And then we did a load of work for about five years. And then we seemed to stop dead again and slow right down again. So we, we kind of flip flop, I would say. 
what I think the opportunity at COP26 is one, uh, the French did an amazing job in Paris. Uh, one, a little bit of competition would be good for, for us. I think we would respond well as a race to competition. So making sure that we, we do, we pull our weight basically and getting, getting an agreement in Paris. So that's really about making sure that all the foreign office, the UK civil servants are out there make, getting a position on, on the agreements. And then I, I think that Biden is obviously having a massive impact. So I, I definitely saw us step up our, our role as soon as we saw Biden sort of win in the US and, and some of his main comments coming out related to climate change and the commitment to the US. That definitely pushed the UK and pushed it forward. So I think we were hedging our bets slightly before because we didn't know whether we'd have Trump. But now we've got Biden, I think it feels like we've, we've got back on track. So let's hope we can pull it out of the bag again and, and do something extraordinary. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, Biden did change dramatically the landscape of politics, and um, you know, he's he immediately he's got his views on, on Brexit, of which we all have our views. I'm not going to start talking about <laughs> Brexit on this the B word on this podcast. Take a look at the Greens and the rise of the Greens. We we've seen it briefly within the um, local elections in the UK. They they were getting a lot more votes. Take a look at them over in Germany, and that's kind of we talked about at the beginning about you could almost say that governments nowadays are becoming like corporations and the fact that how they are viewed by the general public and how they are being held to account is is going to be something relevant going forward because if we have more greener values and if we want to see actual legitimate change then we're going to force our governments to do so and the UK are going to have to sadly whether they want to or not they're going to have to start going back to parties whereby they are together as nations and work work together towards hopefully legislation that can help drive a debate a little bit more and um, speed everything up a little bit more so we can start to see true impacts take place. Yeah. And I mean, some of the target setting, the target setting about no new diesel car, diesel and no new fossil cars from 2030 has changed the debate on the electric vehicle completely. I mean, it's completely transformed it. And that's what I say is that when the UK gets its act together, we, we can be really quite radical, but we, we need pushing really hard to get there sometimes. It feels like rather than leaping at the last minute, let's take some more constructive ongoing steps in the middle. Exactly. exactly. No, well, thank you very much. Really enjoyed today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And um, no, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Neil. That was really great. This podcast was brought to you by Purpose Made a strategic change consultancy supporting people and business to navigate the post-pandemic global society. This is what transformational change sounds like. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe and we'll see you again for the next episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.